This week's episode of Trek Geeks is brought to you by Fansets, the place for amazing pin collectibles. They have close to 200 officially licensed Star Trek pins to choose from, with new pins coming out every month. See all the pins and collectibles they have to offer at fansets.com, and stay tuned for this week's special Trek Geeks discount code. Fansets. We are Star Trek. Hi, this is Andy Robinson, Elam Garrick on Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and you are listening to the biggest little podcast this side of the Gamma Quadrant. It's the Trek Geeks podcast with Dan Davidson and Bill Smith. Failure to tune in would not sit well with the Obsidian Order. Podfleet Command and the special retrospective office located on the 47th floor. It's the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant and the flagship of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Greetings one and all and welcome to the Trek Geeks Podcast. I'm your co-host Bill Smith. We are very excited to be here this week. Uh, We're going to address a topic that we've had to reschedule a couple of times, but we're still very excited to talk about. Um, it, it's one that we're kind of long overdue in talking about as we think about it, and I'm sure you'll understand why in a moment after I introduce my co-host. <sighs> and I have to spend th- uh, six hours plus in a car with him coming up this coming weekend to go to Trek Onderoga round trip, and I um, I'm wondering if there's anything I can take to just sort of be out for the whole time, but wake up as soon as I get there. Um, so if you have any recommendations, please let me know on Twitter. But for now, he's my best friend and the guy I love to do Trek things with. Welcome, Dan Davidson. 99 the- bottles of beer on the wall. We're going to do that the whole trip. We're going to start with 1,701 bottles of beer on the wall. And we're going to sing it the whole way. Isn't that awesome? So, yeah, if you have recommendations. <laughs> hey, buddy. It's good to have Hi. you. It's good to be here, man. I'm looking very forward to our trip uh, uh, this coming weekend to Trek Conderoga. It's going to be a lot of fun. But before that, um, we've got, like you said, we've got a, a great discussion here that we've had to put off a little bit. And we're finally going to talk about the matriarch of Star Trek, Major Ro- uh, Barrett Roddenberry. Uh, it's something that we've wanted to do for a long time with the Fansets Women of Star Trek collection being released recently, um, and it's time to do it. So here we are. We're going to do it. You made the executive decision, and I do what you say because you're the boss, pal. That's really kind of a first for you. How are you feeling about that? I'm feeling pretty good. I don't have to make any decisions, and I'm not responsible for anything that goes wrong. <laughs> if people only knew what really happened around here. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's um, it's it's interesting the role that Majel played, not just in Star Trek, but behind the scenes and um, and her relationship with Gene. And we're going to talk about some of that today. 
Um, I remember seeing her at, at her last convention and, um, I, I was still just in awe of her uh, because I was amazed that she was out there, you know, doing those long days and, and meeting fans and smiling for every one of them and taking photos. And I, uh, she really was, I think of her as an ambassador, much like Loaxana was, Hmm. she really was an ambassador of Star Trek. And I, I will remember that as long as I live. Yeah, I, I have two regrets when it comes to conventions because it was a stretch of time where I didn't do any. And that's I never got to see Leonard Nimoy and I never got to see Majel. That's too bad. I'm glad that you were able to because I'm sure it was pretty awesome. Yeah, it totally was. You know what else is awesome? Uh, as you can tell the folks at home playing the home game how they can get in touch with us. It is uh, just so easy to get in touch with us, Bill. Just head right on over to trekgeeks.com slash contact, and you will find a variety of ways to get in touch with either Bill or myself. You can leave us a voicemail, you can Skype chat us, you can fill out the contact form and type us out a personalized message, or just make it a lot easier. Click on that big blue button on the right side of the website and leave us a message with your very own mellifluous voice using SpeakPipe. And hey, don't forget the place to be on Facebook these days is the official Trek Geeks Facebook group, Camp Kittimer. Bring your Trek talk, your Trek picks, and your Trek love over to the site and join over 1,400 other friends talk all things Trek. It is the place on social media where the Trek talk is positive with no bashing or gatekeeping allowed. Plus, if there are new announcements about the Trek Geeks podcast network, you're going to hear about it first in Camp Kittimer before anyone else in the quadrant. To join the group, just head on over to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer and be ready to take part in a truly wonderful social experience. And as always, we want to thank our wonderful admins, Haley, Jackie, and Dan, for the amazing job they do running the camp. But please, it is very important to remember that any comments or messages that you leave us in any of these places may be used in a future episode. Bill, I got it all through without making a single mistake, and I'm pretty happy. Back to you. Wow. Somebody write this down. Whoever had episode 188... For how long it would take Dan to get through that mistake free, you just won yourself a whole bunch of nothing. Wow. I'm pretty I'm, I'm proud of myself. Thank you. Patty and by myself. that I mean you won Dan Davidson. That, wow. Dan, it's time for the news from treknews.net. Spanning the alpha quadrants. For all the news on all the Star Trek. It's treknews.net. I feel like we just drifted into the middle of a Herbie Hancock song. Oh, I can't sing it. No, you can't. No, you I want to, though, very much. Online at treknews.net, which, by the way, is also where you can find treknews.net. Dan, first up, uh, the big news this week is that a reunification of sorts has taken place, and it may have a direct impact on Star Trek. It may. That's yeah, kind of it's possible. Reunification. I, God, I love it. This copy is great. Good stuff, man. Uh, after years of rumors, CBS and Paramount <laughs> Pictures, parent company Viacom, are merging, and the end result will form one of the largest entertainment companies on the planet, valued at over $30 billion. 
this means that for the first time since 2005, the Star Trek franchise, both movie and TV rights, will be housed under the same roof. Now, while the effects of this merger on Trek are not really known yet, it does mean that the franchise will no longer have to tiptoe around when it comes to movies versus TV series. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see how things develop under the course of the next few years as we continue to see new shows announced and the continued swirling rumors about that possible Quentin Tarantino-directed Star Trek movie. Um, and, you know, I, I got to say, Bill, from a personal perspective, this really isn't a big deal for me. To be honest, you know, it's it's a business. These things happen. And for me, the movies have been on hold for a while now. Uh, so as they say, business as usual, as far as I can see. Time will tell, though, I guess. No, I agree with you. I mean, here's the thing. Even before the reunification of the two companies, CBS and Paramount still had the same parent company mm -hmm. in National Amusements, the company owned by the Redstone family. Now, with this merger, Sherry Redstone takes over direct control of uh, either Viacom, CBS, or CBS Viacom, whatever it's going to be called. And um, uh, for now, it's it's status quo. All yeah. these people thinking it's going to launch a an MCU-type uh perspective for star trek i just uh, enough enough people um, you know you know what's great they won't have to worry about that silly 25 percent rule <laughs> <laughs> oh let's not even talk about that because no, then people not, are gonna think it's a thing no it's not i'm joking people joking okay yeah, <laughs> I, it's uh, cbs has always owned star trek and people say well paramount owns the movies paramount owns the rights to make movies cbs still puts out product right. with movie characters Mm -hmm. And they license product with movie characters. And I look no farther than our dear friends at Fansets who have Kelvin Timeline pins. Yes. Yep. That were authorized and licensed by CBS. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, this <laughs> it's, it's great. I think in the long term it's going to be good for Star Trek um, because maybe it means we get more movies possibly. Yeah. Yep. But like you said, the fourth one's been on hold for a while and in a couple of different forms. So right now this news is very meh. Oh, I like I was hoping you'd throw one of those in there for the story. Thank you. Thank you. It's important in the scope of business, but in the scope of Star Trek right now, it's meh. it's it's just as it was yesterday. Yep, absolutely I agree. Absolutely. Yep. Well, Dan, also speaking of a possible Tarantino film, one Kelvin Timeline actor Thinks it would be pretty cool, and I'm stunned by this revelation. Yeah, well, damn it, Bill. I'm a podcaster, not a movie critic. That was horrible. That was very That bad. really was – that was that the was, worst. That was terrible. I was watching my meter. I didn't want to go over it. Hey. Again, so. <laughs> yes. Uh, Carl Urban, who, of course, plays Dr. McCoy in the Kelvin Timeline movies, recently stated he thought the idea of a Quentin Trek would be great. The actor said during an interview with HuffPost that, quote, I think Quentin Tarantino doing that film would be phenomenal. He is definitely one of the most exciting filmmakers that's currently working. And if he has an interest in making a Star Trek film, I think the studio would be insane not to let him do that, end quote. Uh, he also added that, quote, obviously, I'd very much relish the opportunity to be part of it if it came to be, end quote, if Tarantino were chosen to direct what would most likely be an R-rated adventure for the crew of the Enterprise, Bill. And we've talked about it several times on the show. Nothing's – it's still rumor. There's nothing that's been concrete. But yet we always still come back to talking about it. Well, here's the thing. I mean, people treat this as news that actors want to work with Quentin Tarantino. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> I, I hate to shoot down like two things in a row. But let's be honest. There's not a single member of the Kelvin Timeline cast that's going to say, Quentin Tarantino, 
screw that. I don't want to do that movie. Yeah, exactly. I don't no need a way. check. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Um, it, it's just, it, this is, water is wet. Uh, I, I, Carl Urban has done a, a an incredible amount of work that's fantastic. I'm watching The Boys on Amazon right now, I, which he I is fantastic in. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, not a shock that a great actor like Carl would want to work with somebody who is a has become a legendary director in Hollywood. Say what you will about his movies. I'm not a fan of all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a fan of some of the ones that people might be surprised at, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, it's no surprise that... A uh, an A list actor like Carl Urban wants to work with a top tier director like Quentin Tarantino. Shock, not a shock. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. Um, we'll see what happens. And speaking, of that, I got to start watching the boys because I've heard very good things about it. So it's yeah. it's very different. Um, yeah. It's it's not quite as dark as Watchmen, but it's dark. Mm-hmm. Um, a bunch of superheroes under corporate control. Oh, interesting. And, and I know you don't have a problem with gore. There is some gore. Yeah. Um, but uh, some very interesting, very layered, very um, complex characters. Oh, all right. Well, so, and you're able to understand it? Anyway. Well, yeah, because I'm not Dan Davidson. Ouch. Wow. And Dan, moving on, we <laughs> want to remind everyone that as this episode drops, you and I are going to be taking a trek to upstate New York. And man, we couldn't be any more excited about this. As the days get closer, we get more and more excited. Yes, this coming weekend, as we record, August 23rd through 25th, the fifth annual Trek Conderoga event will be taking place at the Star Trek Original Series Set Tour in Ticonderoga, New York. Now, special special guests will include Ethan Peck, Terry Farrell, Robin Curtis, J.G. Hertzler, and David Frankham. Uh, there will be set tours hosted by tour owner James Colley, as well as Ethan, Terry, and JG as well. And JG will be General Martok during the tours, which is pretty cool. I think that's on Saturday. Um, there's going to be all kinds of awesome stuff like panels, one of which uh, both you uh, and I, Bill, will be um, hosting, which we're very excited about. There'll be cosplay, trivia, autographs, photos. Terry will be donning a TOS uniform as Dax just like she did in Trials and Tribulations. It's going to be a really fun weekend, and tickets are still available at StarTrekTour.com. You know, it's pretty amazing. Our panel, Star Trek Save My Life, happens Saturday at 2 p.m. local Mm -hmm. time. Um, We've been asked if we're going to record it. We're going to try to. Mm -hmm. Um, The venue is a high school, and it doesn't really necessarily lend to native recording. Uh, So it's not like there's an audiovisual system throughout the venue like there would be at a a convention hall. Right. Um, We're essentially in a high school, I'm going to guess, classroom or or smaller library-type room. And... Um, we have no idea what the audio setup is going to be. So we're going to bring a microphone to set between us, kind of like we did for Granite State Comic Con, mm-hmm. and see what happens. But other than that, um, it's hard saying not knowing. Um, but I am looking forward to, to hosting that panel with you Saturday at 2 p.m. Um, it, it should be a, a very open and welcoming discussion. And uh, I look forward to meeting the attendees afterward. Yeah, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, we've been, uh, gosh, it's it's just as exciting as STLV in some ways for me. I mean, it's a new one for us. Um, the folks that we've been talking to up there at Star Trek Tour, Tour Star Trek Tour dot com have been most welcoming. It's it's really going to be great. And I hear a rumor that Galt's going to be there too. Uh huh. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> wow. I'd so sh- 
the providers mm-hmm. are looking for for more members of the herd and looking forward to it. I know they're not going to pick me because I'm just I'm I'm not oh, worthy. Oh, we shall see. You are very worthy. No, uh, no. Uh, and Dan, <laughs> finally. Another week and another sad report to share regarding a Trek alum who unfortunately has passed away. Yeah, man. It seems that we're doing this way too often. Uh, I said that last time. Uh, but sadly, uh, TNG and DS9 guest actress Barbara Scarf, known during her time on TNG by her professional name, Barbara March, passed away on Saturday, August 10th after battling cancer. Trek fans will always remember her for the role as Klingon Lursa from the House of Duras. She appeared in TNG's Redemption Part 1 and 2, as well as Firstborn. And then was seen on DS9 in Season 1's past prologue. Uh, and then we also finally saw her on the big screen in Generations, where she and her sister Bator met their fate. Uh, in addition to Trek, she appeared on shows such as L.A. Law and Night Heat, and was also a renowned theater actress, having played roles such as Lady Macbeth and the Duchess of Malfi. In recent years, she was seen at Trek conventions everywhere, and on many occasions, she actually took the stage in her full Lursa makeup and wardrobe. Trek Geeks offers our sincerest condolences to Barbara's family, friends, and fans. And as always, we want to thank our friends at Fansets for sponsoring this week's show. You know, STLV is now in the rearview mirror and the release of 20. Yeah, you heard that right. That's 20 new pins was a huge success for them. As always, we're looking forward to what's going to be coming next from Fansets, aren't we? Oh, we absolutely are. You know, I haven't even had the opportunity to uh, put my new Women of Trek collection on the wall yet, Bill. And yet here we are giving our listeners an exclusive on the release of what is going to be the next Women of Trek pin. Very excited about this. You know, during STLV, people who purchased at the Fansets booth were asked who they would like to see next in this collection. And we are proud to announce here on Trek Geeks that the next pin will be none other than Jadzia Dax. Very, very cool. Woo! Yes, uh, we we think it's fantastic news. And it's actually perfect timing as we're going to be in Ticonderoga this coming weekend along with Terry herself at Treconderoga. So win-win, buddy. Win-win indeed. This was the result of a a fan vote Mm. at STLV while people were actually making purchases uh, at at their table. So it was a very informal vote and Jadzia was the... uh, the winner head and shoulders above everybody else. And so they're listening to what the fans want. And Jadzi is going to be the next pin. That's really exciting. Also, just to let everyone know, everybody at Fansets, yeah, they're kind of wiped after STLV. So they're recharging their warp coils due to the large amount of releases for Star Trek Las Vegas. So there aren't going to be any new pins for the month of September. As Sarek would say, worry not. October is going to bring some new pins, and we're going to be sure to tell you what they are ahead of time. You can bet on that. In the meantime, as always, as a special bonus to all our Trek Geeks listeners, if you would like to receive 15% off your entire order at fansets.com this week, simply enter the word MAJEL at checkout. That's M-A-J-E-L in all capital letters. This bonus code is going to be available until Tuesday, August 27th, 2019 at midnight Eastern Daylight Time. Fansets. 
We are Star Trek, and we thank our friends at Fansets for sponsoring this week's episode. Well, Dan, speaking of Majel, Majel. Um, we gather today to to discuss that very individual as part of our ongoing Women of Trek retrospective. Um, it's a long overdue. I mean, there are some people who thought we should have started with Majel first, and I don't necessarily disagree. Um Perhaps we should have, but the time is right to talk about her now, especially with all of the Star Trek that is currently in production, uh, and everything ties back to the cage, the the one that she worked on first. Yeah, you know, I don't necessarily agree with we should have done her first. Okay, um, because you know, and not that we're not that this is the last time that we're going to have a Women of Trek episode, but you know, the saying "save the best for last." throw stuff around and that's not to say that any one person is better or not better than another person of who we're talking to i actually kind of like the idea that we um saved major for the middle of these discussions as we're going to be having several uh there's a lot to talk about with her and you know with the schedules and what was going on uh we had to move it around a couple of times but i guess it's uh it just makes it more exciting that we're finally getting around to talking about what i've called the matriarch of star trek for quite a while now you know, she really, she really was. I mean, if you think about it, she's there since the beginning. Um, you know, it's long reputed that the network didn't necessarily like her as number one. And so Gene put a blonde wig on her and reintroduced her as Nurse Chapel. And he thought he was pulling the wool over everybody's eyes. And if you read Mark Cushman's These Are the Voyages, Volume 1, you'll, you'll find out that the network wasn't at all <laughs> surprised. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's Gene's girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, the skies really work. It's like an episode of Mission Impossible up in here. Um, but, you know, from the beginning is is the phrase I use most to talk about Majel because she truly was there. You know, if you think about it, a, a lot of the direction, a lot of the pre-production and planning, she likely heard about or maybe even had Gene bounce ideas off her. And when you think about some of these things that happened in the original series, that's actually pretty fascinating. You know, to think that some of these story ideas or some of these production elements may have started as conversations around a table. I like to think of her as the glue that kept Star Trek together back in the 60s. Oh, wow. She really, you know, she had a lot of, I think she had a lot of influence on what Gene was doing. Um, she was involved in just about every episode, whether it be as Chapel or number one or the computer. So she was always there. And I think that relationship that she had with Gene really allowed uh, things to stay in focus when a lot of times there were problems going on on the set. You know, they were coming up against deadlines and, and budgets problems and everything like that. And I've always thought of her as that person who kept things together because she had that close connection to Gene. Well, when you think about it, she met Gene in 1961, um, at least according to Star Trek Memories, uh, which is, I believe, William Shatner's book. Um, and in late 63, she was cast in Gene Roddenberry's series, The Lieutenant, which, yep. now think about this, this whole confluence of people. Starred Gary Lockwood, mm -hmm. who would be in Where No Man Has Gone Before. Uh, and the episode which she was in also featured Leonard Nimoy. <laughs> and it was directed by Mark Daniels, who would go on to direct 15 episodes of the original series. It's Stick, sticking together. It's it's that <laughs> confluence of things that I find fascinating in hindsight, because at the time when Star Trek premiered, nobody knew any of this stuff. But looking back on it as fans, we can you know, sort of sit back and go, oh, that's really cool. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And 
you kind of see that to get off track just a little bit. You kind of saw that in other iterations of Star Trek as things went on. People that worked together seemed to always come back on from different projects would come back and they would work together on Star Trek. We saw that with with JG uh worked a lot with um uh some other folks. I think Renee, I think he told us when uh uh when he was um on our show. There was also a gentleman that he that he roomed with in college who came back and did an episode of Star Trek with Ron Canada. Ron, there you go, Ron Canada. Yeah. So uh, it's kind of neat how that uh, the, those those circles stick together even when it's different shows. Ron Canada is one of those guys who you see oh. in a bunch of things. He turns mm-hmm. up in TMG, he turns up in Deep Space Nine. Pretty sure he turns up in Voyager, although I'd have to look that one up. Yeah. But um but yeah, you're right. I mean, it's it's this this network and web, and I'm sure it happens with other shows, but you know, we get to see these these things woven throughout the fabric of Star Trek and it's pretty fascinating. So in nineteen sixty four when Gene starts putting together the cage what is the original pilot for Star Trek, Gene decides to select Majel to play number one. And little could we have known then how monumental a decision that was because, you know, here now 50 plus years later, uh, 55 years later, we get that character back. Yes, finally. Uh, finally. Mm-hmm. And we get some depth added to what Majel created in 1964, 1965. And... It's interesting to see the tie together between Rebecca Romaine's number one and Majel Barrett's number one because they are very much the same character. And I got to give credit to Majel for that. I mean, here we are, plus 50 years later. She was only in a few scenes. She was on the bridge a couple times, and she's on the planet when they're firing the phaser and and then in in the cage itself and so forth. And. How many how many minutes do you think she had in the cage? Maybe eight, nine minutes total, uh, if that, that she was on screen and had lines. But she was such a powerful character for the time back then that when, uh, you know, fast forward 53 years on Discovery and, and Pike and number one show up, a lot of Rebecca's portrayal of her is just like what Majel did. And I think that's a that's a testament to, to Majel herself and what she brought to the role, even though it was a short role, small role. Well, yeah, and plus there are the scenes on Talos Four itself in the cage, you know, mm-hmm. when she and uh, and Yeoman Colt are sort of beamed down, you know, right. the women. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I can't help but use that line Sorry. every time I talk it's, about that's it. That's all right. Um, but you're right. I mean, an incredibly strong character from the get go. It was it was special to see a woman in that level of command in a fictional spaceship on television because that just wasn't happening at the time. You know, here she was in charge of the whole ship because the captain wasn't on board. And once the captain went missing, it became her job to get him back. Yep. And and that in its own it, its own right is it's is kind of subversive as far as 1960s television goes. And the scene that always gets me uh, with her is when they're about to beam down to the planet and she's told that, sorry, number one, she has to stay. And she looks really dejected. And and I've always looked at that as the reason she couldn't go on the away mission was because of the ridiculous thinking back in the sixties. I'm not going to bring a woman down on the planet for yeah. this, this dangerous mission. Yeah. And and her reaction, her hand kind of on her head, looking all upset, is something that's always stuck with me all through the years. I um, you know, it's Star Trek. It's the sixties. It's not without its mm-hmm. its sexism of the time. Unfortunately, um, it just. 
it is what it is. And we're just glad that we got to see as much as we did. Now, now here's something that, that I didn't necessarily realize. And I need to go back and, and, and buy this book and, and read it. Because I think I read it once about 20 years ago or so. But I'm going to quote from the Memory Alpha entry on this. Okay. Quote, in their book Inside Star Trek, The Real Story, Herb Solo and Robert Justman claimed that the account of NBC rejecting the female first officer was a myth created by Roddenberry. In their version, NBC was proud of gender and race and diversity in its shows and even insisted in ha- on having a strong female leading character, but they felt Barrett was not a leading type actress with strong screen presence suitable for playing such a role. Apparently not wanting to hurt his mistress's pride, Roddenberry purportedly came up with the story in the 70s and 80s at Star Trek conventions, uh, which he toured extensively with uh, uh, Majel at that point. Um, Interesting. Yeah, and... So I, I guess there's there's three sides to every story, right? There's <laughs> there's one person's side, there's the other person's side, and there's the truth that's somewhere in the middle. Right. Um, I can believe that some amalgamation of of the entire story is true, um, but I have a hard time believing that um, uh, that that it wasn't just because um, they they didn't like Majel. Um, I can, uh, knowing what the rest of television was like, I have a hard time believing that NBC was like, yeah, let's put a woman right up front because it just doesn't seem to fit with the times. Oh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you look at not just Star Trek, but any show yeah. back in that time, it was exactly the same way. So yeah, I can, I can believe that it's fun. I love how you say it. there's three sides to every story because it, you're absolutely right. That, that middle is where the actual truth is. Yeah. You know, and so she's obviously not in the second pilot. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason. But then she gets reintroduced later uh, in the naked time as Nurse Christine Chapel. <laughs> That's one of your best impersonations yet, quite Thank frankly. You. Thank you. And they stuck her in a blonde wig. And I don't know if Gene <laughs> thought he was getting one by NBC or not. Um, but I got to believe that, you know, uh, they weren't fooled. At least a- <laughs> according to the Cushman books, they weren't fooled. Um, and I wouldn't have been fooled either because she's still a very strong presence, even as Nurse Chapel, you know, being sort of secondary to Dr. McCoy. Well, and, and, and based on stuff that I've read, when, when he did that, when he stuck her in the blonde wing and put her on the set as Nurse Chapel, that pissed Lucille Ball off to no end and <laughs> wanted them both fired for it. Um, luckily that didn't happen. Um, but, uh, yeah, I guess, um, you know, you know, Really? It's like putting a, a a hat and sunglasses on somebody and and, and a fake beard and and well, I don't recognize this person anymore. It's just, I guess that's the thinking back then. I mean, you wouldn't think of doing. I don't think anybody would be silly enough to do something like that now. Here, let's let's put a, let's put a wig on Dan and nobody will realize it's Dan because he's not bald anymore. Well, that may be true because usually when you put a wig on, people think you're Guy Fieri. <laughs> touche, touche. Well, you know, Lucy had been so turned off by her own husband's philandering, and I, yes. by that I mean Desi Arnaz, mm-hmm. that, you know, when Roddenberry pulled this, I can believe she was incensed. As the head of the studio that was producing Star Trek, I am not surprised that that's what she wanted. Um, it didn't happen, though. I think the cooler heads prevailed, and um, this is one of those times I'm glad Lucy didn't get her way. Yeah. Because it meant that Majel probably would never have been involved with Star Trek if she had. Yeah, absolutely. And and you think 
um, because they were able. Uh, who was it? It was Herb Solow. Is that how Solo. you pronounce his name? So, oh, Herb Solo. That kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? Um, actually, talked Lucille into into not doing anything with the two of them. And Chapel, I didn't realize this. Chapel is seen in twenty five of the seventy nine episodes in TOS. I didn't yeah. realize it was that much. Uh, that's re- that's really something for me. And of course, my favorite one. Um, I don't know if we're go- if you wanted to talk about it a little bit more yeah, later, fine. but no, we what do a little now. girl. What are little girls made of? That is a Chapel episode, and I I I love her um, her version of Chapel in that episode. I think it's great. Well, it's arguably the one where Chapel gets the most to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's early on in season one, as far as Chapel goes, um, and it's interesting that they made her the character that would have the fiance on a on a distant planet mm-hmm. that eventually has robot guts. Um, <laughs> I don't believe, if memory serves now, I, I could have this wrong. I don't believe the original script had it focusing on Chapel. I believe that's how it evolved. Um, I'm glad but it did. still a very strong performance of Chapel where she's doing more than Yes Doctor or having soup thrown at her. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, right? And professing um, her love for Spock. Right. And when this she's one, got a fiancé. What the heck, man? Well, not at that point. Well, yeah, that's true. Because uh, he he was a robot dude. Um, but it's a very strong episode. She gets to do a lot of scenes opposite Bill Shatner. Yeah. There's a lot of scenes opposite the actor who played um, Roger Rob- Corby, whose mm-hmm. name escapes me at the moment. I apologize. Um, but no, it, it showed that there was more to Chapel than just grabbing hypo sprays for the doctor. And I really appreciate that. It was something I wish they had come back to more often. Yeah. You know, you don't get to see a stronger chapel really until the animated series. Oh, that's true. Yeah, very much stronger. And of course, we see her as a doctor in the motion picture. Briefly. If I remember, very, very briefly. But yeah, that episode is one that I've always liked. I, I, I like the way that that episode was filmed in terms of lighting, as with all of the TOS series. The lighting in those, on those episodes was really great. But that glow that they gave her in pretty much any of her scenes, especially on the bridge, was really something that I appreciated. It really, it really brought out her beauty. And she acted, she, she really was good as Chapel. I really, I really appreciated what she brought to the, to the, uh, to the series. One of the things I didn't re- realize until sort of reading up on Majel and her life was that she and Jean didn't get married until August of 1969, so 50 years ago this month. Oh, okay. I did so not know that. The majority of the series, they weren't married. That's interesting. Uh, yeah, because they got married uh, two months after the final episode was aired. Yeah. Wow. So That's- Star Trek had already been canceled. I had never realized that. I thought that they had been married throughout the entirety of this filming. So that's new news for me. Right? Wow. That's really huh. Yeah. I'm uh I'm I'm kind of surprised by that because you know we always think of Gene with Majel and of course they were together for for quite a while. Mm-hmm. But it's it you know in in clearing the historical record as it were, I was really surprised to find that out. So the post Star Trek years. You know, we've got some animated series in there. We've got some Lincoln Enterprises in there, which I was always fascinated by. They founded that in 1967, which was still kind of during Star Trek, you know, where they sort of sold merchandise related Mm -hmm. to Star Trek. And, you know, the Vulcan Idic symbol comes into play there at some point, I'm sure. Um, (laughs) But, you know, she, she also did a lot of work with a lot of Gene's unsold pilots, which I was really kind of fascinated by. Um, some of those are, are great. The Questor tapes, that's pretty fantastic. Uh, Planet Earth is sort of meh. It depends on which version of Planet Earth, because I think there are two different ones. Um, or two different 
pilots with roughly the same story and a similar character named Dylan Hunt. Okay. Um, but it still working with Gene side by side on these concepts. Um, the more I look back on it, the more they clearly had a true partnership in the years post Star Trek. And that's really what kind of surprises me the most. You think of Gene as sort of a, a controlling individual. If you listen to the other writers, he had to constantly do rewrites. He had to constantly polish things that he wasn't asked to do. And yet here they are together again yeah. and no. again and again. No. And following Gene's death, she continued doing things, uh, continuing that legacy, so to speak. Before I get to that, though, one of the things that I've always appreciated about about Majel is that she and Joseph Ruskin are the only two actors to be in every series of Star Trek before Discovery. That's really amazing uh, when you think about it, when you think of the, the amount of time. Um, but uh, and, and she actually was also in a fan film, uh, a Star Trek New Voyages, uh, produced by James Colley, who we're going to see this coming weekend when we go up to uh, Treconderoga. That's very interesting that she was in that. But, but Was she the computer in that? She was, actually. She oh. voiced the ship's computer in World Enough and Time. Oh, that's which, really cool. Yep. So that is very cool that she, uh, she lent her voice to that. Um, of course, Rod Ronberry is so involved in things that are going on. But um, after Gene's death, um, she took materials from his archives and, and, and uh, tried to assist with developing some series. Earth Final Conflict uh, was one of them that actually ran from 97 through 2002. I didn't realize that she was so involved in that one. She was. And then the second was, of course, Andromeda, which I think a lot of people know about. That aired from 2000 to 2005. So even after Gene's death, she still – she took the torch and ran with it and um, was very successful, I think, in uh, things that she did uh, late in life. Well, it's interesting. You mentioned that World Enough in Time. That's the uh – the episode of, of Star Trek Phase 2 slash New Voyages um, that was co-written by Mark Scott Zickrey, who wrote Far Beyond the Stars for Deep Space Nine. Oh. Okay. Also stars George Takei as Sulu. Yes. You see Grace Lee Whitney as Janice Rand, and you get Majel Barrett as the voice of the computer. Um, wow. Yeah, so it's a, it's a total callback. Um, and a family reunion. Uh, a little bit, and, yeah. you know, it's a it's a it's – a, a pretty legendary fan film as, as, as things go, quite frankly. Um, it's, it's, it's definitely worth the watch. So, uh, yet we digress. Yes. Yes. Anyway, um, <laughs> I want to talk a little bit, oh, a little bit. I want to talk a lot about Majel and next gen, because I really think that's where Majel's prominence, both in yep. the Star Trek franchise and in Star Trek itself really came to fruition. Um, I think when people initially saw her cast as Loxana Troy, um, Deanna Troy's mother, daughter of the fifth house, yada, yada, yada. Um, <laughs> it was a little bit of fan service at first, we thought. But it turns out it was so much more than that. And, you know, Majel wound up playing, uh, by her description, the anti-mame of the galaxy to some extent. And I think that's the persona that people most identify with Majel as a person. Um, they probably believe, I know I did, that she was probably a lot more like Loaxana than she probably was like Nurse Chapel or number one. Yeah, and, and I've talked about several times here on Trek Geeks that I'm not the biggest fan of Loaxana. That's nothing against Majel. I just... Sometimes I didn't really appreciate the character. I think I've got a better appreciation for her now. And of course, the episode Half a Life is is 
hands down, far and away, the best Loaxana episode of TNG. And she really got to shine in that one. But um, she, I, I like that description, the anti-mame that you said. I think that, that fits perfectly for the character of Loaxana, especially the first couple of episodes with her. Um, it just wasn't something that rang with me. Um, but like I said, as I've watched things more over the last few years, I have a better appreciation for her. And of course, as we'll get into, she also, you know, had a couple of guest appearances on DS9 as Loxana, which I think for the most part, you and I enjoyed. <laughs> I actually think that, you know, Deep Space Nine allowed her to shed the Auntie Mame persona yeah. to some extent and actually get into some more um, heavier material, if you will. Um, I actually think that her appearances on Deep Space Nine were probably the best turns of Loaxana for the most part, um, instead of uh, Next Gen. And I'm going to use um, Half a Life as sort of the the exception mm-hmm. to the rule, yeah. because there's also Manhunt. right right um which is not a terrible episode but it's just it's a little it's a little over the top and in deep space nine we see less over the top loxana right and we see more introspective um that relationship that she forms with odo but back to next gen for a few minutes Mm -hmm. um i think that what we learned from Loaxana in Next Gen is that you can inject a little comedy and over-the-topishness and still have it be a very Star Trek episode. I think that in the early days of Next Gen, it was it was really uptight. Those first few episodes oh, yeah. are 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 tough on that level because people haven't settled in yet. And I think that having Loaxana as as sort of that force that helps bind um, really went a long way. You can tell that people were a little more at ease uh, in those in those episodes, or at least with yeah. their characters. Um, but that first appearance of Loaxana, uh, and I, th- uh, I think it's Haven. Um, uh, I want to. Yes, it's Haven um, with the with Armin Shimmerman as the talking box mm-hmm. um, is probably <laughs> my favorite of the TNG appearances. For the most part, because of everything you learn about Loaxana. Interesting, because that one's hard for me to watch. Really? Yeah, I, I don't know why. Maybe, maybe like you're right. Episode season one is uptight. Yeah, it's it's it, it's, it's uncomfortable. Um, they haven't found their groove as actors and and characters on the show, and and that one I liked Armin and Mr. Home probably better. <laughs> it's it's not that we dislike season one. I mean, it decidedly is very mm-hmm. uh, uptight. Is really the only word I can use. It's just yeah. people are not comfortable. Yeah, um, that's interesting that you like that one as much as you do. I'm as I've done with any episode that we've talked about, which I really have a hard time liking. I'm totally willing to go back and watch it again and see if I can get a better appreciation for it. Especially since we're sitting here talking about the actress. So I, I'm willing yeah. to bet you uh, a cup of coffee or a drink in, in in Ticonderoga that I'll appreciate it a lot more. Oh, I'm sure you will. As I think that we've come to to realize in the commission of doing this podcast that. Uh, we get to watch things with a different eye, if mm-hmm. you will. Um, I think that the most brilliant scene in Haven is the dinner scene because it is so expertly written and the acting is fantastic. It's very much like a play. Yeah. Um, with <laughs> its, its pacing, with its structure. Um, it is inherently hilarious. <laughs> I, do, um, I, do, I, I, I do appreciate that scene. I will give you that. Yeah. And, and Majel, that scene doesn't work without Majel. 
<laughs> because she's the you know the the straight person in that and and she sells it and it is awesome. Yeah, she does. Um, it, it, when I look at her, because she was only in TNG as Loxana six times, yeah. which is really kind of amazing to me. Mm-hmm. There's Haven, there's the aforementioned Manhunt, there's Menage a Troy, there's Half a Life, which we mentioned, there's Cost of Living, <laughs> and one of my least favorite episodes oh, of Next boy. Gen, Dark Page. Yeah. However, I want to talk a little bit about Dark Page because um, unlike the rest of Next Gen, it is pretty dark. It takes Loaxana to a place that I don't think any of us could have possibly imagined. Um, and it perhaps tells us why she's a little over the top all the time. You know, she she has this larger-than-life persona because she suffered such a significant and tragic loss as a parent. And when you consider the character through that lens, it's a shame that the you know the dark page came as her last episode on TNG, because some of that might have been some interesting layering in the middle for us to learn about. Mm-hmm. I, I had a problem with with dark page because it's late in the series, and all of a sudden you're finding out about this chapter from a character who, even though has been in five previous episodes. It's a pretty significant thing in her life, and we're just finding out. And I kind of think they they shoehorned it in for some reason. And I I never really appreciated the 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 fact that this is canon that this really happened, and we've never seen anything about it. It would have made more sense if it was kind of retconned later. To be honest with you, in my opinion, and which is why I think that's why I didn't like it at all. And I like how you said how she has this personality that she's always you know over the top you know who she reminds me of because i just got done my rewatch she reminds me of hank on breaking bad because whenever hank's around people he's got this you know larger than life attitude and he's always joking but whenever he's by himself you see that he's going through a lot of a lot of problems interesting and and um it's something that popped into my head as, as you mentioned that but yeah dark page not not one of my favorites at all not so much for the for it's just not a, a great episode but how they kind of threw that whole history in about Deanna, which is pretty significant history, and just kind of threw it in when we were like, wait a minute, where did this come from? The one thing I will say about Dark Page, you know, if this were a Say Something Nice, um, and I had to talk about Dark Page, I would say we can't have the Loaxana we see in The Forsaken without seeing Dark Page first. Okay. Uh, the Forsaken being her first appearance in Star Trek Deep Space Nine is mm-hmm. Loxana. Because yep. she starts that relationship with Odo. Right. Um, who is uh, every bit as lonely an individual as Loxana is at mm-hmm. that phase. And I, I don't think that she opens up to him if we don't see her confront and experience that loss uh, in Dark Page. That's and my starting, personal feeling. And starting to heal. Yes. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Um, because it's a very different Luwaxana that we get in Deep Space Nine. Very different. And it's a, one that I, I've always liked. The I think one of the most touching scenes of the entire series is when she allows Odo to revert to his gelatinous form and kind of like holds him in, in her dress and her lap because he can't hold his form anymore because they've been trapped in that turbo lift for so long. I just think that is a, an amazing scene, just brilliantly acted by both Majel and Renee. And uh, I'm glad that we got to see her a few times on Deep Space Nine. Uh, even though Fascination is one of those episodes. <laughs> <laughs> now, that said, I kind of like Fascination. Yeah. I think I skipped it when we when we did DS9 Season 2, see it or skip uh, it? I can't remember. Um, 
I it is no season three. My bad. Um, I, I think it was a skip it for me, um, but I, I do like I like it anytime the actors can step outside the normal character box and do something a little different. And fascination is that type of episode. And it harkens back a little bit to the Auntie Mame Loaxana and mm-hmm. less of the Forsaken Loaxana. But um, her last appearance in Deep Space Nine, unfortunately, is in what I think is the worst episode of the series. <laughs> uh, the Muse. Yes. The Jake storyline like is terrible. Mm-hmm. The Loaxana storyline isn't bad. But, but it's, it's it's the B story. It's the B story in an yeah. otherwise unwatchable episode. Right. And... I feel like Loaxana really gets the opportunity to come full circle with who she is in the Muse. I I I agree. Uh, that now the Muse is the one with Michael and Sarah, if I remember correctly. Is that that one? <laughs> yeah, don't even start with me. But that's but that's that's the one with him, right? Uh, is that the Muse? It is it is where where she's the the baby, and they get and they get married. Odo. Is that the yeah. one where he and, yeah 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 I I really like that you get and that's another thing oh my god she's she's gonna have a baby that's that's like a say what moment um, but yeah it is it she does come full circle with that I really do like that storyline in the muse not even I, sometimes I forget that that's part of the muse because I don't think about the Jake aspect of that episode very much I focus on the on the Luaxana Michael and Sarah stuff with Odo yes. uh, and I appreciate that a lot much and a lot more and like you said because it's the B story I don't think it has the recognition or the respect that it deserves being Luaxana's final appearance it really doesn't yeah. um because uh, I think she really gets – it's unfortunate that her last turn as Loaxana is that episode because yeah. it's really some some great work by her. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and honestly, all of this work as Loaxana is, is really fantastic acting because she adds layers and depth to this character that we may not have considered previously, especially when TNG was first run. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> You think maybe she's going to be a guest for maybe one episode? Yeah. And and it turns into a lot of – that happens with a lot of Trek characters. I mean, it's, it happened with JG and others. But with Luxana and uh, um, and Majel, absolutely. You know, the the watching for the first time when she's on, the, on that episode, um, I probably didn't think she'd ever show up again. No. No, but she either. does, and I still can't believe it's only six episodes. That's that's mind blowing. That shows you the impact that she has as an actress and as that character. She's only in six episodes, but you feel like she's in a whole bunch more. Well, I mean, she is in a whole bunch more in a completely different <laughs> way um, because she is the voice of artificial intelligence mm-hmm. in most of Star Trek. Yes, and that's kind of mind blowing. You think of all the home assistants we have today, and all the 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 Siri like devices mm-hmm. or the Alexas or you know when you call out OK Google oh my phone just my phone just lit up <laughs> yeah I heard a beep sorry about that <laughs> um, you know the the voices that talk back to us aren't these sort of roboticized right um, science fiction of the fifties um, mm-hmm. takes on artificial intelligence kind of like TOS was in a way but right as as computers evolved in next gen, we got an interactive voice that was conversational. And if you think about it, every home assistant voice that you hear today likely wouldn't have happened without Majel as the computer in right. next gen Absolutely. and deep space nine and Voyager mm-hmm. um, and, and, and every, enterprise and enterprise. And well, 
But I mean, kind of. But without that work, you know, people just talking to their computers and hearing a female voice that is conversational likely would not have taken place. Absolutely. I loved that evolution. Uh, like you said, it's the robotic computer voice in, in TOS. Working. Uh, exactly. Um, Acting argument. But then and it becomes a more <laughs> a more uh, um, fluid conversational voice. I like the way that you put that conversational uh, sounding computer in, in TNG. And it really is a staple. And I would love – and I think that there was discussion at this one time and I don't know where it's gone – that they were going to get the – Rights from Roddenberry's company to have her voice be a voice that you could have Siri be or Alexa or something like that. So you could actually have the Enterprise D's computer voice of Majel be your 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 home assistant voice. If that were to happen, I would pay whatever they're offering or whatever they're asking for to get that to take place in my home. So my Google Home downstairs mm-hmm. right now, I have – Set it to use the voice of Grammy-winning, Oscar-winning singer-performer John Legend. <laughs> because That's one funny. day that turned up as an available voice. I'm like, That's well, damn, awesome. if I'm going to have Google results read to me by John Legend, yeah. my day is going to be instantly better because you know, the man's amazing. Uh-huh. And he do- it, it is, he didn't sit there and record every word possible. It sounds like a computer-generated version of John Legend's voice based on yep. things that John Legend has said. It's perfect in tone. It is perfect in cadence. It is perfect in believability. And I have to believe that with that technology, they could very easily have Majel's voice as you know that type of TNG computer voice um, as long as the two sides can get together and just get it done. I hope they do that. That would just be absolutely fantastic. It's that's one of the that's one of the 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 build the building blocks not right, but that's one of the staples of TNG is yeah. that computer voice. It's really great. Now um, in Deep Space Nine, you saw it a lot. Didn't they change it halfway through DS Nine to somebody else, or is it always is it always Majel throughout the entire series? Well. Major was always the Federation computer. Okay, so I'm thinking Judy Durand was always yes, the Cardassian. The Cardassian, yeah, that's from what, that's what from I'm Episode thinking. One. Yeah, that's right. That's what I was thinking. Okay, um, so yeah, I would absolutely love uh, to see that happen. Oh God, come on, people, get it, get it done. Bill, call your contacts. Let's get that show on the road. <laughs> okay. Hey, John Legend. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag Hey John Legend. You know. <laughs> We've talked a lot about the various roles that Majel has played. We've talked about her being there at the at the foundation of Star Trek and it's getting off the ground uh, with Gene. We've talked about her being a really a force, mm-hmm. um, a creative force with Gene on some of these post Star Trek projects. But we haven't really talked about her legacy aside from being a computer voice. Um, you referred to her earlier in this discussion as the matriarch of Star Trek. She's she's held the title the first lady of Star Trek for the mm-hmm. longest time, and rightfully so. But in your estimation, outside of those things, what do you feel Majel's true legacy is when it comes to Star Trek and fandom? Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, you put me on the spot. I like to do that because it throws you a little off your game. Yeah. It makes you use the, the tiny pea brain of yours a little more because we don't do stuff the geek as often. Um, <laughs> but if you had to name a couple of elements, what, what do you think those would include? She was groundbreaking. She broke the barrier, I think. She was the first. You know, a, a lot of people talk about Nichelle. But when you think about it, Majel was the first female 
actor in TOS to really have something to chew on and to and to and to give us as as watchers of the show um whether it was number 1 right off the bat or as Chapel um she was a character that even though she it was a lesser character in terms of screen time and and it wasn't she wasn't on every every episode and every mission when she was there she gave she gave a, a a boost to women back in the day uh, when they were starting to um, get into acting careers. So I think that's the thing that I would uh, I would think of off the top of my head. And she also was a she also was a um, when you look fast forward into the future, she has allowed other women to succeed in doing similar things. Take a take a look at uh, Julianne Grossman who does the work of the computer in Discovery and does an absolutely phenomenal job as a computer. I love the sound of the computer voice on Discovery. I'd love to – I haven't read a lot of interviews with her, but I've got to think that some of this work that she's doing is in part because of what Majel did back in the day on TOS and, and TNG. I, I have to agree with you. I mean, you know, when, when somebody sets a, a standard that – you know, is sort of woven throughout the fabric of Star Trek, like like Majel's contributions, even as the computer voice. Um, it it's still incredibly significant in the world of Star Trek. Um, when I think of Majel's legacy, I I can't help but think about the times I've seen her at conventions, talking one on one to fans at a table, signing autographs. Um, I was there at her last convention, and I, I I I was a little taken aback because she looked frail. Yeah, and it turned out to be her last convention, mm-hmm. but she was there all day, meeting every single fan, talking to fans, taking photos with fans, and I mentioned earlier that I've always thought of her as kind of an ambassador of Star Trek, and in those years, that's exactly what she was. She wasn't the full of life, Loaxana, mm-hmm. you know. She wasn't the reserved Christine Chapel. She wasn't the commanding number one. She was she was a woman who used to act yeah. and helped her husband create something pretty fa- fabulous that people still came to decades later. And I yeah. think she understood what that role meant to everybody else. You know, when you you look at the fact that she is so present in all of Star Trek that she's always been there. The first trek without her, man, was rough. I'm not going to lie. But knowing that she does have such a significant piece in all of Star Trek, I think is what really brings me the most joy because she so richly deserved it. Absolutely. And and she had a passion for it. Yes. Um, Like you said, sitting there talking to fans. And think this. She recorded her lines for the 2009 reboot film, yeah. and she passed away eight days after she recorded those. Yeah. She was involved with it literally until she passed away. And that's that just shows how much it was part of her and how much she loved doing it. And that's part of her legacy. This thing that is Star Trek, there's so much of her in it, and it, it was right up until literally the day she died. Yes. Yes, it was. Now, she died in 2008, and I am fairly certain that she was at STLV that summer. If it wasn't, it was the summer before 2007. But I am almost positive that she was there. Um, And when you consider the fact that she was 76 when she passed, Mm -hmm. um, it's it's kind of amazing to think that um, 
she's been gone now 11 years. Right. Um, yeah. Because, you know, my memory of her at that last con in either 07 or 08 is just as fresh. Yeah. Um, that was before it was at the Rio, I'm pretty sure. I think it was still at uh, the Hilton at that point. Hilton, okay. And I remember talking with her briefly and she was such a delight. And mm-hmm. it's something that, I mean, I, I'm so lucky to have, well, we met Leonard Nimoy at the same time, you and I. Yep. Uh, I'm so lucky to have seen Leonard's final convention appearance in at, in Star Trek at Las Vegas. And I'm, I'm, I take a lot of solace in the fact that I met Majel at her last convention um, because I really got the opportunity to say thanks. And that's something that will always stick with me. Right. I, I have to say, I, I feel the same. I got to see Nichelle at this convention, uh, STLV, and yeah. we know that this is her last STLV. And I was able to say similar things to her. So I'm really glad that you were able to do that at what was her last convention. Like I said, it's one of the things I wish that I had been able to to see and, and take part of uh, during uh, my younger years was to be able to see her at a convention. So I'm really glad you were able to. Me too. I think discussions like this one are important because we have to remember the legacy and the history Mm-hmm. of of these things not just in star trek but in the world in general because it's the way that the, that these memories and these recollections propagate throughout our society mm-hmm. you know by talking about the contributions that these individuals made um it, it serves as an important reminder to to how much hard work they put in and how pivotal they were to things uh like star trek you know i mean clearly there are people and especially women who have made amazing contributions throughout recorded history but when i consider star trek um uh, perhaps majel has made the greatest contribution as a pioneer of of women in that franchise and uh man uh it's not until you sit down and talk about it that you realize how significant her contribution was Absolutely. It, it 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 just in this last hour that we've been talking about her, my appreciation level has has soared, which makes me think that I'm awful for saying that I didn't like Luxon as much as I should have. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that was more the writing in some of those episodes. It well and, and we found that to be true, you know, as we've looked at episodes on Trek Geeks. It's like it's it's almost never the actor. That's true. A very it's, good point. It's ninety nine point nine percent of the time. It's the people putting words on the page because the actor is only delivering what was there, and uh, I think that that's absolutely true with Lawaxana. Some of that over the topishness, I don't think, was reined in effectively enough on the page. True. And uh, Majel delivered it, you know, like a pro. Mm-hmm. You know, she she hit her marks. She said she she gave her performance and and called it a day. And now we get to watch it. For time and all eternity, which is pretty special. I like that. Good way to put it. Dan, you know what else is pretty special? Our friends, the band Five Year Mission, they have just given to us the episode zero, the introduction to Five Year Mission, the podcast. I know we posted it uh, this past weekend in Camp Kittimer for people to hear. So if you remember in Camp Kittimer, you can dial that up. It's about 15 minutes long. You can get a sense of what the five-year mission of the podcast is going to be like when episode one drops very, very soon. But um, in the meantime, what y'all should do is head on out to fiveyearmission.net. Please go buy all their CDs. Um, show them some love on the website because they are fantastic. We are so grateful to them for not only what they're adding to the Trek Geeks network by way of their brand new podcast, but also in the music that we use here in Trek Geeks every single week. So it's fiveyearmission.net. Please show them some love and uh, get ready to put their podcast in your ears because it's going to be fantastic. 
Did you just throw a y'all in there? Uh, I think you did. I might have. <laughs> wow. All right. Okay. Well, that's great. I'm, pre- I'm preparing. They, okay. That's great. Yes. Uh, well, you know, you know, Bill, it's a special episode that we recorded this week. You know, it is. It is. Yeah. She was a woman whose grace and elegance was a thing to behold. And, you know, she says it. I, I can't even I, – I, I'm losing my, my frame of thought because it was just – No, it's a, it's a was, very small frame. It's just amazing. You know, <clears throat> whether chasing the captain of a Federation starship or cradling the exhausted liquid form of a changeling in her lap after a long concert, she was always a classy and interesting woman who I now have a better appreciation for based on the conversation that we've had here today. Of course, I'm talking about Farxana Troy – Daughter of the Fifth House, holder of the sacred drumsticks of Reeks, heir to the holy symbols of Beta Zed. <sighs> yeah. So you wanted Fark and company to still be on the network with the podcast, right? <laughs> because when you come up with crap like this, <laughs> hey, they signed a contract. They they actually have not. No, no. See, see, they don't. They don't sign contracts uh, with us because then they take me to court. <laughs> <laughs> well, and quite frankly, you deserve it. I do. Um, yes, thank you, Farxana Troy. Farxana yeah. Troy. Yeah. Yeah. Holy holy symbols of Beta said. Yep. yep. Yeah, holder of the sacred drumsticks of Reeks. And I'm not talking like chicken drumsticks, like you eat. No, no, no. Uh, now I want chicken. Chi- oh, okay, chicken. chicken. Let's go get chicken waffles for breakfast. Oh, that sounds yummy. I like that. Um, but that's fiveyearmission.net. And head on over to Camp Kittimer. Check out Five Year Mission, the podcast episode zero. We think you're going to enjoy it. Uh, of course, don't forget, you can support the Trek Geeks Network of podcasts, which now includes Five Year Mission, by subscribing to bonus content via Patreon. You know, you can get access to exclusive content that you're just not going to get anywhere else. You can see the first of our annual supporters pins from Fansets. I'm working on that year two design right mm-hmm. now. Well, mm-hmm. not, not right now, but uh, right now. And even get raw, unedited audio of our podcast along with a whole bunch of other perks, Dan. Absolutely. We want to take a moment right now, though, to thank our associate producers for Trek Geeks. We are very grateful for their support. And they include Adam Sanders, Brandon Everidge, Heather Sohn. John Krikorian, Rick Tatro, Trey Womack, Shane Murray, Sean Lynn, Tim Robertson, Tim Serdar, Vikram Bhatt, Greg Rozier, Andy Fark, Kimberly Francis, Ron Robel, Brooke Horton, Christina Werther, and the gracious and wonderful Conrad Hutchins. We also want to thank our producers of the Trek Geeks podcast for their support, and they are Ken Tripp, Casey Shafsky, Charlie Mulvey, Chris Trebuzio, Craig Ewing, Eric Extreme, Jackie and Chris Hackney, Leonel Marchand, Matt McGonigal, Mike Bovia, Harry Michelson, Patrick Escudero, Sean O'Halloran, Peter Craig, Ben Russett, Corey Stone, Ken Bird, and the lovely and talented Scott Vashon. Boy, those lists just keep getting bigger, don't they? (laughs) (laughs) We almost need a separate podcast (laughs) just to list the people who help us produce the podcast. Wow. Well, if you'd like to become a producer on the network or even get access to the raw audio for Trek Geeks episodes, head on over to patreon.com slash trekgeeks today, where subscription levels start as low as $1 a month. Wow. One tiny dollar per month. That's amazing. Next week, Dan, we have not done a deep dive into a next-gen episode in a while. So I recently asked you to name an episode off the top of your head, 
And you came up with a pretty interesting one. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. It was just like, boom. But it is actually, when you think about it, Bill, it's the ultimate your face episode. Am I right? I'm right. I'm always right. Uh, you know, the title says it all. Deanna is surgically altered and forced to pretend she's a member of the Tal Shiar to help two high-level Romulans defect to the Federation. Intrigue, suspense, and drama unfold as we deep dive into Face of the Enemy next week on Trek Geeks, the flagship podcast of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. And of course, that's going to be a fantastic discussion. Um, love to talk about Next Gen. You know, that's one where Marina Sirtis gets to uh, talk about characters acting outside the box. Mm-hmm. She definitely gets to step outside the normal character stuff with this, and it's going to be a, a fun one. Uh, of course, uh, for more great Star Trek discussion, Dan, we want everyone to listen to the other member podcasts of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Of course, there's us, there's Discovering Trek, the Star Trek Discovery Companion, there's Polytrex. There's the brand new five-year mission podcast. And of course, don't forget about Trek Geeks Game Night over on our YouTube channel. And for all the news on all the Star Trek CEO, please visit our great friends at treknews.net. For now, this has been episode number 188 of the Trek Geeks podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. Working. Coconut is good. Thank you. Wow. The computer's wrong. (laughs) face is wrong music for trek geeks is provided by five-year mission they're writing one song for each episode of the original series download their music at fiveyearmission.net trek geeks a star trek podcast is a production of coconut media works executive producer bill smith for even more star trek discussion check out discovering trek a star trek discovery companion available on apple podcasts Spotify, and DiscoveringTrek.com. Bing bong! Bing bong! There's a little... little <coughs> yeah, watch, watch, watch your meter there, Chief. Bing bong! <laughs> I'm glad you're adding so much value to the show this week. Thank you, know, you so much. People, people want to hear... Me do my goofy stuff, so I'm I'm here for the fans, you know, because I love them a lot more than I love you. Which is See, funny because I was just praising you on the on the Patreon side of things, which they'll never hear. <laughs> That's right. So I can you know categorically deny it ever happened. Uh, well, no, you can't because there's a group of people in the world who knows it did, and I will always have the source audio. No, they're liars. <laughs> <laughs> great, oh. great way to go. How are you? I'm I'm well. I'm I'm. I didn't sleep very well last night. Oh, but me neither. I just, uh, I can't find a happy medium with my back, so. Oh, all right. Well, sleep standing up. Horses I'm gonna do s- it. I'm going to sleep podcasting in a minute because you're boring the hell out of me. <laughs> I'm just waiting for you to bring something good to the conversation, so I just have to. I'm, I feel I feel like what's-his-face, the guy who was on stage uh, for the, uh, when I was Galt on stage and he was filling dead air, Hoffman. Oh, yeah, so now you're not going to talk. All right, I see where we're going. No, I'm waiting for you to say something that's worth my responding to. Oh, all right. Um, Hasn't happened yet in 187 episodes I was going to say, it's taking you four and a half years to finally say that. Well, I, I know. That. That's on me. That's so on I'm me. sitting here uh, at, my, at my podcast station in my Star Trek uh, studio, and in front of me I have the wonderful uh, Planet Killer from Eagle Moss, and right in front of it, sitting on its stand, is the prototype Enterprise. And it looks awesome. Which only people in Vegas know about right now.
That's right. Well, you know, uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, guess what? <laughs> that's okay. It still looks good. Would <laughs> have your finger on the pulse of America. Oh, you know, I got my pulse on. It's, I have a hard time getting my own pulse sometimes. So. Oh, I'm waiting for the day that pulse uh, just stops. Wow, that was harsh. True. The uh, truth is not harsh. It's, it's not. It's. Uh, uh, I don't even have any. I can't even. I don't have a comeback for that. It's too no. early in the morning. I didn't sleep good. Oh, the poor baby. And I can't wait to shave this monstrosity off my face. You got uh, another, <laughs> just over another week to go because uh, this week, uh, next weekend, as this drops, or this coming weekend it's as this coming. drops, yeah, we um we will be in Ticonderoga, New York, at Treconderoga, yeah, uh, which is um uh, put on by the uh, the official or sorry the Star Trek original series set tour, mm-hmm. officially licensed by CBS. It's gonna be, man, this is gonna be a great little convention. I am so psyched for this. It is going to be awesome. I think the, the it's going to be so great. The worst part is going to be the three hour drive with you, both ways. That's going to be tough. But I'll you know what I, I'm going to do it because I'm looking forward to the convention and and you know maybe we'll finally make up and be friends again. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, we, we may we may take the opportunity to uh, to maybe record several carpool conversations. That's a good idea. We're gonna have plenty of time to do it. Uh, down and back. Yeah. Oh, six hours and 40 minutes of driving. Oh, God. Uh, it, round trip. That's both ways. Yes, round trip. Yeah. Because if Uphill. I had to do six hours one way with you, mm-hmm. I would, I, w- I don't know what I'd do. Would you jump out of the car at 75 miles an hour? No, Please? but I might fly instead. <laughs> okay. I would spend the money and get on a plane so that I could avoid you for that long. Wow. I said, we just spent all this time together bonding in Vegas, and now you got to be like that. Back to the back to the regular thing, huh? No, I'm just being honest. I mean, I can barely handle three hours in a car with yeah, you. Here we go. Less than an hour to work was bad enough. Oh, that three was hours? Horrible. We got to do that again soon. Now six hours? I mm. oh god, I I think I would just quit. <laughs> okay. Wow. See now, see, ladies and gentlemen. You know, I try to be nice and you know, being very complimentary and talking about all the all the good things about Bill, and he comes back with that kind of stuff. I can't help it if you're a drag. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pulling you down with me. <laughs> oh, yeah, like an anchor. <laughs> like oh, an anchor. Concrete galoshes. <laughs> huh? Huh? Everything can be Star Trek related if you want it to be. It actually can. I yeah. mean, and the fact that it's not. So here's the thing I run into in my house. Mm. Everything right now is office, office related. I knew you were going to say that. Yep. Because my wife just throws out quotes intermittently. And for years, I've not done this with Star Trek. Okay. Because I didn't want to be that person. Mm-hmm. If you had to have my wife go, are you talking about freaking Star Trek again? <laughs> and you know, my, my wife just keeps going, you know how I be. Yeah. And that's a quote from the office. Yep. yep. And at first, I didn't realize it was a quote from the office. I'm like, where's that come from? She's <laughs> like, you know how I be. And finally, the episode was on, and I heard it. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> you have been quoting The Office now for weeks, and I just didn't know. She goes, oh, yeah. So she's that person. <laughs> <laughs> no, because she's doing it with The Office. If you're that person, you're doing it with Star Trek. Oh, it's okay. So it's okay to do it with The Office. <laughs> well, I tell you what. If our roles were reversed, there's no way in hell you'd tell your wife it's not okay. <laughs> 
Yeah. Uh, that's not what I'm saying, though. <laughs> <laughs> that has nothing to do with it. Yeah. Yeah. So, Kelly, stop doing the office quotes. It's dumb. <laughs> I'm going to cart that off as its own separate wave file and send that's, it to her. That's awesome. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Are you ready to do this, jerk? Yeah. Let's do it. Then do it already. Uh, wow. You need to... You need to Get going. It's back off there. Smiley. Come on, Bucktooth. <laughs> <laughs> This week's episode of the Five Year Mission Podcast is brought to you by Fansets, the place for amazing pin collectibles. See all the pins and collectibles they have to offer at fansets.com and stay tuned for this week's special Five Year Mission Podcast discount code. Fansets, we are Star Trek. All right, ready? Bye. Let me hear the chord. Bye. 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 Now you figured out. This is the five-year mission podcast. You know us as a band, now you're gonna know us as a podcast. Welcome to episode zero. I realize that's not a number, but it sounds a weird saying, but welcome to episode zero of the five-year mission podcast. For episode zero, we decided it would probably be a good idea just to kind of introduce ourselves. So here we are, talking about one of our favorite subjects, ourselves. Hello, everybody. I am Mike Rittenhouse. Uh, I know Andy likes to assume that everyone knows who we are, but in case anyone listening to this does not know, Five Year Mission is a band, uh, foremost, and we write music about episodes of Star Trek. Uh... Those, for those of you who do know us, then I, I don't know why you're listening to this, because you know that this is going to be a big waste of your time. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, uh, my name is Mike, and I, uh, I play guitar, and I sing and write songs for the band. I also uh, play bass and keyboard sometimes. Um, Noah? I'm Noah. What do you do in the band? Um, I I play music, and I. <clears throat> it's a fantastic answer, Noah. I write songs. Okay, what else? I sing. Uh huh. I play guitar. Right. I play bass. Uh huh. I fake my way on the keyboard. And I play drums. Patrick, who are you? Hi, I am Patrick. <laughs> I play the guitar and write songs. Uh, in the band, I sometimes play bass guitar, and I sometimes play keys. I do not play drums, because only you do that. I do also play the ukulele, and occasionally theremin or pianosaurus. My name is Chris Spurgeon, and I am the leader of the band. <laughs> okay, I'm not the leader, but I do do all the work. Doo-doo. doo-doo. I said doo-doo. <laughs> to be fair. Do you... <laughs> I do all the hard stuff, except for learning the songs. So what's the question? What do I need to answer here? Who are you, Andy? It's a question I've been pondering for a lifetime already. Now, I'm Andy, and I've written three songs for the band, and I play drums. And that's it. 
Incredible interview. And that's Andy. So now each of us are going to share like a childhood memory or uh, an experience relating to Star Trek. And uh, uh, and here comes Noah to interview me. Oh, hey, man. Hey. What's up? Not much. I'm just in here. Um, I I got this (laughs) microphone and I'm trying to make it work. So that we can, I'm supposed to interview you, I guess, but no, I, don't, school, I don't care about that stuff, man. Oh, well. Just ask me the questions. That's what I'm doing. Since Noah's a dummy, what is a favorite Star Trek memory for you, Mike? So uh, when I was, let's see, what year would that have been? I was probably about 12. I went to the drive-in with my friend and his parents, and we were going to see the last crusade, Indiana Jones. And uh, it was a. There were two movies. The other movie was uh, the Final Frontier. No, 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 no. It's. I love the Final Frontier. I actually really like that movie. I like it better than several of the other movies. Uh, So we went to the the theater and we watched Indiana Jones and then we watched Star Trek and. That night, my friend and I stayed up the entire night playing with his G.I. Joes, pretending that they were Star Trek characters. And I I had, I don't remember what character it was, but he looked kind of like Scotty. So I was like playing Scotty and and he, my friend, he kind of sucked. He was an only child and he had like every toy ever made. Oh, you told me about that kid. Yeah. And so I was super jealous, but he had the the G.I. Joe uh, space shuttle. So you have the aircraft carrier. He he did not have the aircraft carrier. That that was like the one thing he didn't have. But he had the space shuttle. So uh, we were playing with that and pretending it was the Enterprise. And so that that was that was really my first that was my first Star Trek movie experience, for sure, and a big memory from my childhood. I, I have a Star Trek memory, a visceral Star Trek memory, burned into my brain when I was little. Um, my parents didn't have cable, so I would have to go to my friend's house next door to watch anything, pretty much. And I remember going over there and walking in the door at the exact moment that the ear slugs, like, leave, check off. You know what's weird? That's my very first Star Trek memory. Really? I really? Don't think, I, don't think I'd, I don't think I'd even seen the series before, and that's the one thing that burned into my brain when yeah, I was a kid. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a burner. Um yeah, I had I had seen Star Trek the original series many many times right. in syndication, but I never seen the movie because I didn't have cable. <clears throat> so there I was, and I just remember like sinking down into the carpet and and just just going, oh, just watching the rest of that movie and just being completely blown away by it and cursing my parents for not having cable and then having re- recurring nightmares about <laughs> and then being haunted for the rest of my <laughs> life. Yes. Right. How about you, Patrick? If I, want, if I want to go back all the way, when I was a young child, I was into Star Wars and the toys. And uh, for Christmas one year, I got a Scotty action figure from the motion picture. And he was in like a gray uniform, didn't look anything like Scotty from the show. So I actually had no idea what it was for many years. Um, and then I started seeing the show in syndication in the 80s. Um, and I, th- I think Mirror Mirror is the first one I saw where I was really just blown away. Um, and then I went to my first convention around uh, '86, and they were doing some uh, 
promotional stuff for the next generation. And so I got really super into that. And so those were my formative experiences. So I didn't I didn't get in this I wasn't like in Star Trek when I was younger. I had a friend who was really into it and so he would talk about it and he would show like he had, you know, figures and all that stuff and I would pretend like I knew what he was talking about because he was my friend and I wanted to be able to share that with him. Not, you know, it's not like I'd seen a bunch of episodes. You know, I, I saw the movies as they came out, but I hadn't really seen the episodes so much. So, I, you know, I can remember Wrath of Khan and, you know, the the SETI eel, you know, getting put into Chekhov's ear, and that was horrifying. I think, but I think I actually saw four before I saw that one because it was the most mainstream, and I think that was when I was old enough where I could actually go and see it because I think Wrath of Khan was like 82 or something like that. So I was like seven, you know, and so I was still a little young for that. I think when I started to appreciate it more was when, I mean, I was out of college and I went to Vegas with this same friend and we went to the the Star Trek experience at the Hilton and I got to see kind of the timeline that they had laid out and it just kind of became, it just kind of congealed into a world, I think, for me at that time. And then, you know, I was, I started appreciating it more then and just saw more of the episodes and but it wasn't really until the band that I really did the deep dive. Yeah. So, Andy, Do you what like what Trek? what does Star Trek mean to you? Is this how we're is this the way we're going here? <laughs> uh Star Trek to me um it is basically it's an allegory, if you will, a space allegory, a sp- spag allegory. <laughs> no, uh, Star Trek has always been uh, very ahead of its time. It's always been very uh, politically motivated and lots of just morality tales, basically. And it's always just been about a better way of life. And that's the whole idea behind Star Trek. I mean, besides, you know, some great action, some great writing, some great character development. Uh, underneath it all, it's always been just a really great show with really great morals and teaches phasers on stun. Phasers on stun. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> That was us talking about ourselves. Thanks for tuning into episode zero of the five-year mission podcast. What are we going to do from here? We'll have some maybe celebrity interviews, maybe some fan interviews. Maybe we'll diagnose our own songs, figure out how these episodes work, how these songs work. Maybe we'll do some one-star reviews. Maybe we'll do some Star Trek roasts. Maybe we'll do a lot of other things. And we'll figure it out from there. 
This is, after all, episode zero, and we have no clue what we're doing. No, we do not. But we do kind of know what we're doing when we're making music. So if you're interested in that, you should definitely check out our YouTube channel or follow us on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. If you search Five Year Mission on any of those, we should be the first thing that comes up. If you want to send us any kind of uh, messages or feedback on this podcast or our music or just want to talk to us about anything in general, you can email us at fiveyearmissionband at gmail.com. Now tell them about our sponsor, Andy. This week's episode of the Five Year Mission Podcast has been brought to you by Fansets. Whether you choose to wear them or display them, there is something for everybody, ranging from the Star Trek universe to DC to Harry Potter and beyond. An unbelievable 20 new pins from Fansets made their debut at STLV this year. Wish we could have been there. And they are all amazing, including the Women of Trek collector set, including Lieutenant Uhura, Dr. Beverly Crusher, Counselor Deanna Troy, Major Kieran Norris, Captain Catherine Janeway, Sub Commander T'Pol, Commander Michael Burnham, the Borg Queen, and Edith Keeler. If you don't hear the name of a favorite female Star Trek character in there, don't worry, because this is going to be an ongoing series. As well as new autograph pins featuring Brent Spiner as Data and Doug Jones from Discovery as Saru. Each pin is personally signed and comes with a certificate of authenticity. These are not machine reproductions. All right, fansets, are you really going to make me drop all that money on a Doug Jones pin? I think you just did. And also new from Star Trek Discovery, all the Season 2 episode pins from Episodes 1 through 4, as well as the Season 2 logo pin. New Trek Tech pins, including the Klingon Batleth and a TNG Phaser Rifle, as well as the new Star Trek Picard logo pin and a half Picard, half Locutus pin. On top of all that, the STLV exclusive Uhura pin sold out within mere hours at STLV. But, good news for anyone who was not at STLV but wants to get one of these collectibles, head on over to fansets.com anytime between now and August 31st at midnight Eastern and pre-order this pin. Fansets will only be ordering the number of pre-orders that come through by August 31st, and they will be shipping by mid-October. After August 31st, you will never be able to order this pin again, so do it now. And, as a special bonus to our listeners, if you would like to receive 15% off your entire order at fansets.com, simply enter the word 5-Year Mission at checkout, all caps, the number 5 at the beginning. This bonus code will be available until Sunday, September 15th, 2019 at midnight Eastern Daylight Time. Again, enter the code 5-YearMission at checkout. Fansets. We are Star Trek. And we thank our friends at Fansets for sponsoring this week's episode. On the next 5-Year Mission podcast... Earliest Star Trek memories and favorite convention moments. Come back for episode one. <laughs>